I am Pandarius, a scholar of Thera. My name is Thorin. I hit people. A tablet I translated could hold the key to stopping a demonic apocalypse at sundown. Oh, this is gonna be fun. Many will try to stop me from unlocking its secrets. <laughs> oh, they'll try. This would be my first adventure with Soren. Let's go! As the Avatar of Green Eyes! Welcome to a Scholar's Journey. How is the connection between Kirin and Magus formed? The secret to binding the soul of a Magus to a Kirin is kept from students and outsiders by the senior magi of the Pentacle. It is only revealed to their pupils when the students are deemed ready through vigorous testing. The binding is dangerous, and if it fails, the Magus life is snuffed out. However, once made, the bond is unbreakable, except by the most potent of magic or the absolute finality, death. The Northwest Trade District of Dayil was the main trade area of the city. Merchants of all kinds flocked from the four corners of the world to hawk their wares, and the air was filled with the aroma of spices and exotic dishes. The most recent attraction had followed an odd occurrence, and those it drew were not the normal visitors to the trade district. They were researchers and excavators. Near the center of the trade district, a large scar had been torn into the white rock foundations of the city. A slice had opened a chasm that extended straight down and disappeared into and out of sight. It was many blocks long and wide and revealed another layer just below the surface. To study the area, scaffolding had been set up in three tiers to examine each level of the heavy white stone tablets. A ramp extended down to another level to view a similar set of tablets just below. And likewise, one more. This was the extent of the area the excavations had covered thus far, but the chasm extended even farther down and out of sight. The tablets were half again as tall as a man, with hieroglyphics and runes etched onto their stone surfaces in ordered rows. At regular intervals, separating the tablets were small yet unexplored tunnels. The crowning discovery stretched across the center of the great excavation and took up the entire third tier. It was a thick stone platform that was inscribed with runes and hieroglyphics like the others, but in a spiral pattern extending outwards from the center. Multiple tents tables, and implements used for archaeological purposes had been set up on top of the stone platform that overlooked the seemingly bottomless hole below. 
The air was heavy, with dust kicked up by the excavation. One mystery that had yet to be explained was the hot air that blew up in rhythmic gusts from the fissure below. Like clockwork, roughly every 40 breaths, a hot breath of air was exhaled from the chasm. Though it was not violent, each blast was enough to ruffle the hair. The biggest tent was set up near the center of the stone platform, and it was a square, drab-looking affair. Inside was an improvised desk made of collected materials, including a wooden slab to operate as a writing area. The central portion resembled Pendarius's desk with precariously stacked papers and small stone tablets with notes attached to them with tree gum. The nameplate at the head of the desk read Isaiah Hellcriff, Lead Excavator. A young woman dressed in dust-colored breeches and a loose white shirt, ducked in through the tent and waved hello to Isaiah, a pleasant-looking slender man in his fifties who was hunched over the makeshift desk. She adjusted the glasses that hid her plain, earnest face. Good morning, sir. Were you up all night again? Isaiah jumped slightly. Oh! Oh, Kale, my girl, you surprised me. Yes, I was going over our good friend Pandarius's work on the last tracing we sent him. He does a thorough and efficient job. She bounded over to where Isaiah was seated. What does that one say? It's a description of the city and its creation. Are you sure? This is a wonderful find. We have been searching for years for an explanation of how this city got here. Isaiah sighed and scratched his head in frustration. I'm afraid it's not as literal as I'd like. It seems that our good friends left us cryptic clues and metaphorical challenges that go beyond translation and into the world of stories and riddles. What does it say, though? As close as our young fellow Pandarius can make out, it translates as the following. And lo, we, the first sons and daughters of the gods, grew the silver tree in the soil of white rock that was laid on the back of a dragon. A dragon? Huh. Gale peered at the notes. They are probably referring to the stone foundations in the tower at the center of the city. But the back of a dragon? What could that be? mean. I have not the faintest, my dear, though it is something to ponder. Yes, indeed. A large gust blew up from below them and rustled the tent. Will that bedamned wind ever stop? Oh, speaking of which, has Pandarius finished his translations? We have the first half, but require his part to begin work. Yes, Pandarius notified me yesterday that he had finished his translations. Good. Go meet with our young friend and bring back what he has found. 
Incidentally, it seems that our work has drawn the attention of the first speaker of Dalron. I've sent him some of our preliminary work, including the initial translation of a strange series of steps from the large tablet. I included that, along with the rest, for reference purposes. It seemed that Lord Diometres was pleased with the news. The tent flap opened behind Gale, and they turned to see a black-robed woman with her silver moon pendant pinned above her left breast who stepped inside, and then paused. Her face was mostly hidden by the hood of her cloak. Isaiah put down his work and turned to the newcomer. Visitors are not allowed in the scar. This area is for authorized personnel only. The dark figure bowed. I serve the speaker Diometres, and he has bade me to deliver an announcement that is important to your expedition. Can you kindly gather your entire team? Could you tell me what the speaker wants to communicate to the whole team? I'm sure it would serve just as well if I relayed the message. The woman simply shook her head. No, that would not suffice. Gail, please gather the others and bring them here. Gail nodded and went outside. As she left the tent, she saw five more men garbed the same way as the cloaked woman. One of them had on a leash a lesser Kirin that pawed at the ground with its scaly clawed feet, carving gashes in the precious terrain below it. Gale grimaced, but held her anger in check, knowing that if these were the speaker's servants, they would have little respect for a researcher such as herself and for this irreplaceable repository of history. Supernaturally endowed creatures that roamed the lands of Thera openly, the Kirins named out of reverence for their esteemed ancestors the Grand Kirin, ranged in intelligence from the level of a wild animal to equal or greater to that of a Theron. This Kirin appeared to Gale to be of feral origins. It was hunched over walking on four legs and was almost as tall as a man at the shoulder. Its innate intelligence seemed obvious as it examined the area like a hunter seeking prey, carefully marking each researcher as they passed. The being had yellow scales that covered its entire body, and its feet sported dangerous-looking curved claws. Its face was reptilian, with a square jaw that ended in a long, intimidating beak. At the base of its neck was a protruding spiral horn that arced over its head, and two smaller horns curved in on either side. 
effervescent eyes glowed with menace. A forked tongue like a snake's tested the air. Gail hesitated when she saw the men and their dangerous companion. However, her faith in Isaiah outweighed her fears. Handle! Isaiah needs everyone to come to the tent. The other excavators went off to gather the others. As Gail looked around the dig for additional cohorts, she remembered her meeting with Pandarius and rushed to gather her things. It was almost time for their appointment. She went to an outside desk where she had stashed her robes and a messenger pack, slid the bag over her shoulder, and raced toward the scaffolding ramps, then up to the city proper. None of the black-cloaked men saw her go. Moments later, inside the main tent, the rest of the researchers gathered along with the five dark-clothed men, their female compatriot, and the reptilian Kirin. Isaiah crossed his arms and turned to the leader of the strange group. Okay, we are all here. Now, what is it that requires us all to be present? The woman motioned toward the assembled lot. This is everyone? The assassin did not seem to notice Gale's absence among the women researchers. Yes. Why? Good. She drew a long sword, then stepped forward with a strange smile and delivered a stunning jab to Isaiah's gut with her weapon. Isaiah instantly began to cough up blood. Uh. <coughs> Why? She did not respond, but instead whistled shrilly. One assassin tapped the Kirin on the haunch. Hip hip! Go get him! The large Kirin let out a low hiss and eagerly unsheathed the long fangs from behind its beak. The Kirin bounded toward the researchers and began ripping, tearing, slashing, and biting its way through the crowd of horrified men and women. Three of the assassins' unsheathed swords that were duplicates of the one the woman was carrying and went to work on the researchers. The two remaining assassins blocked the entrance to the tent, while the other three and the Kirin hurled themselves with abandon into the crowd. Blood sprayed across the walls of the tent and painted the rune-marked stone floor of the platform a deep red. Several of the victims fled back toward the entrance, but they were cut down by the two guarding assassins, who attacked with bright silver flashes that seemed to disappear as fast as they had appeared, leaving bloody wounds in their wake. When one researcher reached the barred tent flap, a flashing sword cut the man in half. His shocked expression remained frozen in time, 
as his body hit the floor in two parts. A researcher fell to his knees as he pleaded for his life. Oh, God's above us! Save us! Just as he was skewered from behind by an assassin, caught between three swordsmen with murderous Kirin and the two cloaked figures barring the exit, the ten remaining men and women were cut down in rapid succession. When the gruesome business was almost finished, Isaiah was last, holding his stomach where the sword had wounded him, a silver sword tip wielded gracefully by the female assassin brought his chin up to meet her eyes. They were dreadfully cold. Why? Just business. You will not feel a thing. She thrust her sword through his windpipe, through the back of his neck, and severed his spine. Isaiah died instantly. She performed two additional strokes in the air to rid her blade of the dripping blood. The other assassins imitated her actions, and they all sheathed their swords in unison. Then, the female assassin looked around quickly and counted the dead. There is one missing. She walked over to the desk and shifted through the papers for information. She found what she was looking for and held it toward the others. Here. This indicates a meeting of a Pendarius Grayson with a Magus named Oedipagus. One assassin snatched it from her hand, and he and three others left the area together, along with the Kirin. Gale was making her way through the city streets when she began to feel lightheaded, and a chill ran up her spine. She stopped near an alleyway and leaned against the wall. What? What was that? Then she felt something descend upon her. It felt like a cold breeze for a moment, and then she smelled almonds. A misty white presence fell over her. By the gods! She felt her essence being taken by force. Then she collapsed into an abandoned pile of old clothing. She grabbed her head and her eyes seemed to explode as if transmuted into emerald beams of light. A man walking nearby saw her fall and ran over to help her, though by the time he got to her, the energy in her eyes had dissipated. Miss, are you alright? <laughs> 
He kneeled to help her up. Her demeanor seemed to have changed completely. She took off her glasses and gave him a winning smile. Just fine, my dear. I have an appointment to keep. Her words left him bewildered in the street as she strode happily away. The researchers dead, Gale on the run, and possessed? The mystery deepens and starts in a nightmare in the next episode of A Scholar's Journey. This episode featured the voice talents of Eric Erickson Briggle as the narrator and Pandarius Grayson, Stephen Daniel Moore as Soren Luna Mortalitas, Stephen Nagel as the intro narrator, and also as Isaiah Hellcriff, Lana Emmerich as Gail Southtail, Jillian Manteuffel as the Lieutenant Female Assassin, Victor Quesada as an assassin, and Julian Larme as the bystander and a researcher. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of A Scholar's Journey.